Feeding My Faith for May 16th, Episode 1. Seriously, God? All right, welcome to Feeding My Faith. I am your host, Dave Jackson, thanking you so much for tuning in. This is where we make God simple. Seriously. If you'd like to contact me or give me an amen, this is episode one. Go to feedingmyfaith.com forward slash one. That'll take you right to our show notes where we have links to everything we're talking about today. If you'd like to call in your amen or any other kind of comment, my phone number is 888-563-3228, or you can email me, dave at feedingmyfaith.com. Well, I recently, a couple years ago, went back to college, and I got my bachelor's degree in education from the University of Akron, and I remember one of the classes I had to take was ethics, and so I went walking into my first day of ethics class, kind of going, well, this should be interesting. Day one, we had to get something out of the way. You see, we needed to get God out of the discussion. After all, you know, what does God know about morals? He was, (laughs) here's the excuse um, that they used to get God out of the ethics discussion. Number one, there are so many denominations. They're Baptists and Catholics and Methodists and Lutherans. If they, if people can't agree on God, then, well, then he doesn't exist. That was one. The other one was there are universal truths like, well, I don't know, don't murder people. Now, did God invent these truths or did these truths already exist and he just kind of mirrored them? Which to me still... Which, in other case, then, ethics don't come from God. They're just universal truths floating out there, I guess. The other one is, there are no hard facts that God exists. We're going to dispute that one today. Uh, But since you can't catch God in a test tube, well, you know, you can't really prove God, right? So, we don't want to put our faith into something we can't see. You know, yes, God is all around. And to start this podcast, we first have to start where everything starts, which is God. Now, if I walked through the forest and I found a watch on the ground, would I go, wow, this dirt is turned into a watch. That's amazing. No, I'd go, oh, wow, somebody lost their watch. It's it's obviously that this watch has been created it, it didn't evolve over billions of years from a frog. It's so integrated. It's, it's too intelligent. Even after billions of years, a watch did not evolve from dirt or a frog or whatever. Okay, I, I know this is dumb. But there are birds who have had their beaks evolve over time. However, they're all still birds. They didn't turn into bees or monkeys or something. If we evolved, like science says, from a big bang, you know, and energy and and matter just landed here, just pow, and we arose from a bunch of goo, I say the complexity is just too great. 
Christians look at God's design and they praise the Creator. They put their faith in someone they can't see, but they can see a reflection of His mighty hand in His creations. A non-believer, a skeptic, an atheist, Many people say they don't have any faith. They do have faith. They put their faith in time. How did this happen? Their answer is time. Over time, everything uh, just happened. Stuff that wasn't there now is there, and it just changed over billions and billions and trillions and gazillions and googlillions of years. For today, let's look at a few things. Let's, let's cover how the planet got here Let's go back to the beginning, and by that I mean Genesis 1, verse 1, which goes, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Science wants to prove that you can create life by chance. Now, one widely used example of how life could have formed by natural processes is the Miller, and I guess it's Ure. U-R-E-Y, the Miller-Urey experiment, performed in the early 1950s. Now, in this experiment, Miller attempted to simulate the early atmosphere of Earth by using certain gases, which he thought might produce organic compounds necessary for life. Since the gases he included, which were water, methane, ammonia, and hydrogen, do not react with each other under natural conditions, he generated electrical currents to simulate some form of energy input, such as lightning, that was needed to drive the chemical reactions. The result was production of amino acids. Now, many textbooks promote this experiment as the first step in explaining how life could have originated. But there's more to this experiment than what is commonly represented in textbooks. In the experiment, Miller was attempting to illustrate how life's building blocks, which are amino acids, could have formed by natural processes. However, throughout the experiment, Miller relied on years of intelligent research in chemistry. He purposely chose which gases to include and which to exclude. Next, he had to isolate the biochemi those biochemicals, the amino acids. He had to isolate those from the environment he had created them in because it would have destroyed them. No such system would have existed on the so-called primitive earth. You see, it actually appears that Miller used, by choosing all this, intelligent design throughout the experiment rather than chance processes. So, let's look at the Earth. You say you can't catch God in a test tube. I say you can. Think about it. The Big Bang happens. Let's just go with that. And this happens. The Earth, its size is perfect. The Earth's size and corresponding gravity holds a thin layer of mostly nitrogen and oxygen gases only about 50 miles above the Earth's surface. If Earth was smaller, an atmosphere would be impossible, like the planet Mercury. If Earth were larger, its atmosphere would contain free hydrogen, like Jupiter. Earth is the only known planet equipped with an atmosphere of the right mixture of gases to sustain plant, animal, 
and human life. The Earth is located the right distance from the Sun. Consider, seriously think about this, the temperature swings that we encounter. Roughly minus 30 degrees to plus 120? If the Earth were any further away from the Sun, we'd all freeze. If we were any closer to the Sun, we would burn up. Even a fractional variance in the Earth's position to the Sun would make life on Earth impossible. The Earth remains this perfect distance from the Sun while it rotates around the Sun at a speed of nearly 67,000 miles per hour. It also is rotating on its axis, allowing the entire surface of the Earth to be properly warmed and cooled. Just for fun, let's throw in the moon. It's the perfect size and distance from the Earth for its gravitational pull. Now, the moon creates important ocean tides and movements so ocean waters don't stagnate, and yet our massive oceans are restrained from spilling over across the continents. And that all happened by chance. That all evolved from goo. And that's just the Earth. Now let's look at man as we kind of wrap things up here. I'm aware of Sean Carroll and his Pulitzer Prize winning studies where modifying a single gene during a fly's embryonic development could transform the insect's body plan. Like, instead of becoming an antenna, a body extension could develop into a leg. Now this does not answer the question, where did the DNA come from? You see, when, when Darwin had his whole thing. He had, DNA hadn't even been discovered yet. In fact, back then, Darwin said the, just the complexity of the eye kind of freaked him out. And that was before DNA. Now, this other, you know, the Sean Carroll thing, it also points to Carroll, of course, by intelligent design, modifying the fly's gene. It just didn't happen by chance. He did it. It also seems you end up with a five-legged fly, not a bee. Now, in the book, The Questions Christians Hope No One Will Ask by Mark Middleberg, he states this, Consider what you need for a protein molecule to form by chance. First, you need the right bonds between the amino acids Second, the amino acids come in right-handed and left-handed versions, and you've got to get only left-handed ones. Third, the amino acids must link up in a specific sequence, like letters in a sentence. Run the odds of these things just falling into place on their own, and you find the probabilities of forming a rather short functional protein at random would be one chance in a hundred thousand trillion 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 that's a 10 with a hundred and twenty five zeros after it and that would only be one protein molecule a minimally complex cell would need to be between 300 and 500 protein molecules so to suggest chance against those odds is really to invoke a uh, naturalist miracle. If you look at the DNA, if you look at just one cell, there's this identifying string that is three billion letters long and written in a strange, I guess it's 
cryptographic four-letter code. Such is the amazing complexity of the information carried within each cell, we're just talking about one cell of the human body, that a live reading of that code at a rate of three letters per second would take 31 years. Even if reading continued day and night, printing these letters out in a regular font size on a normal bond paper and binding them all together would result in a tower the height of the Washington Monument because of the complexity. Is that even a word? Complexity? It ain't simple, folks. It didn't evolve from goo. If you look in Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Did you ever walk out on a clear night? My brother lives kind of out with cows and stuff. And when I go out to his house at night and I look up, it's so much different than it is here in Cleveland with the city lights and things like that. You can just see so many more stars. It's so clear. And you just go, oh, man. And you can just see God's handiwork. He's kind of showing off. If you go to the Grand Canyon or Niagara Falls, these things just didn't happen. It is, in fact, you know, it's God going, hello, hello. I'm hard to deny. Look at me. I exist. It's impossible to deny. So, step one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when more and more scientists get involved in DNA and they see the complexity of it, they go, oh, this is God's fingerprint. So that is going to do it for this episode of Feeding My Faith. I want to thank you for tuning in. Hopefully you got something out of this. Hopefully you now know. You know. Yeah, I can't see God. I can't capture God in a, a test tube. But I don't need to. I see him everywhere. It's magnificent. Our website, feedingmyfaith.com. You can subscribe to this podcast by going to feedingmyfaith.com forward slash iTunes. It'll take you right to our iTunes page once we have one. And uh, you can email me, Dave, at feedingmyfaith.com. You can call in your comments. I would love to hear from you. 888-563-3228. Now get out there and testify to the truth. <laughs>